Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Happy Fiesta, everybody. I'm still wearing my Fiesta shirt. I wore it last week, and I'm wearing it this week because it's the (laughs) final weekend of Fiesta in San Antonio. In fact, Friday tonight is the last night of Niosa, night in old San Antonio, in the old district of San Antonio. Uh, La Vieta, where the, the, the town is actually probably older than St. Augustine, but we're still debating that. It's <laughs> not. <laughs> anyway, anyway, folks, uh, we got a good show today. We're going to talk about it. We're actually going to tie in. It's, it, I think everything's going to come together this week, and it's actually going to seem like a Purdue show. Well, I'm hoping anyway. Seem like a Purdue show because the, the, the topics or the topic on the mailbag and some of the things that have been coming through the articles and I've seen and people are talking about, and what we've actually been warning for three months is now starting to filter through and they're starting to get picked up on the articles. And so what does that mean for you? So I've got a couple topics, you know, to bank or not to big D bank. Um, um, uh, are we, are, are the skies darkening over the U.S. economy? Or are there 10 reasons to be optimistic about the uh, uh, future? Can you say cheerleader? Okay, which is it? You can't have it both ways. So I'm seeing all these, I'm seeing some articles coming out talking about we're coming out of recovery, everything's good, and things are looking up to, uh-oh, we're going in for a hard landing. The wheels are off the plane. The Fed is still raising rates, and it's, you know, look out, uh, danger, danger, uh, Will Robinson. It's getting, it's getting ugly. So you can't have both. And we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to talk about the banking and real estate. Because like I told you before, this is not over. This is not over. And we might be in the early uh, uh, innings. So first of all, um, I got this article uh, about the uh, optimism. Where is it? Where is it? I'm looking for it. Give me one second. I just had it. Oh, here it is right here in front of me. I should have seen it. So I'm just going to go over these very, very quickly. Uh, The United States is a net exporter of oil. Number one. Number two, enjoy those high short-term interest rates because depositors in short-term yields can get around four and a half, five percent. Guess what? That's actually causing some of the liquidity problems in the private sector. It's good for the individual investor, bad for Wall Street and Main Street. Anyway, uh, inflation is moderating. Companies are great at passing along the cost. Well, that makes me feel good. They're only going to pass on half the inflation they've got. Okay. But it also hurts their profits when they do that, and therefore the stock goes down. So you may pay less at the at – the, the increase in cost may be less at the store, but your stock that you invested in may have gone down. Now, uh, it's also – now, here's the one I, I love. Five, it, now it's time to seek out low-cost providers. In other words, your expenses have gone up. Now's a really good time to shop around and look at your budget and see where you can cut cost. You know, it's like the federal government saying, we'll just spend less. Um, the Federal Reserve is not run by dummies. Oh, <laughs> that's a loaded one. Mm. If they're not, then they're evil. In other words, if they're not run by dummies and this is all on purpose, uh, we need to abolish the Fed. They're, they're, folks, they're creating these boom and bust cycles. They're creating this big inflation, you know, uh, that and the politicians. Anyway. Companies know how to cut expenses to boost profits, just like they're telling you to cut expenses. Let's get the companies to cut expenses. You know, when you cut expenses, what happens? GDP goes down. Growth goes down. Okay. 
the stock the next one the stock market has been the best way to make money consistently for decades i think that depends on which decade you're in in the 30s it wasn't very good in the early 2000s it depends on which couple of years you were in anyway uh, and the U.S. dollar is the world's re reserve currency. Unrest in the world, different economies, yada, yada, yada. We are considered the safe haven. Uh, that's true, and that will uh, uh, continue for a while. And my favorite, number 10, maybe just a couple weeks late, maybe this didn't age well, riding high. The Economist magazine, April 15th cover story, which was the kiss of death, I think. That probably was the top of the market. <laughs> anyway, riding high, the lessons of American astonishing economy. Consider this. So in April 15th, the Economist is talking about how the American economy is riding high and we're the, we're the strongest. Now, remember how we did a, a, a show a couple months ago where we looked at The Economist, Time magazine. There were a couple big periodicals, Barron's. And when these, it was the contra, you wanted to do just the opposite of what they were telling you to do. So they were saying, if it's saying, uh, like Time Magazine, it says Amazon is a stock to buy. That was uh, December 1999. For four years, Amazon got crushed after that. Anyway, that makes me the most nervous. All right. So that's the good news. Now, the bad news is, are we having a slowdown? Are we, is real estate and the banks a problem. Now, I put in the show notes, I actually put in um, um, a bunch, some articles, and I put in this Financial Times article, which is a subscription model. So if you don't get it, and, and normally they'll let you print out, you know, three or five articles a month until they figure out you're doing it consistently, and then they'll kick you off. I sent it to Don. Don couldn't read it. I was able to read it this time. Sometimes I can't. But I'm just going to hit the highlights in case you can't open it or don't want to pay for the subscription. And it's talking about com commercial real estate. I'm just going to hit the highlights, okay? Commercial real estate, 40% um, um, of lending for small banks is their commercial real estate loans versus 13% of the big money banks. Folks, we've been saying for a month, the small banks were looking terrible on the charts. You need to avoid that sector. And they were weaker than the large banks. Well, guess what? Price is truth. The markets give you the indications first. Now we're seeing why. Now it makes sense. The story actually falls in line with what happened in price. Now. Second, falling commercial real estate values coupled with rolling loans at double-digit rates, people are turning in their keys. So in other words, they had an, uh, uh, a mortgage, a loan, a commercial real estate loan. It's five years, 10 years, and they got that low, almost 3 4 5% rate. And now all of a sudden, they got to refinance at 13%. The deal's not doable. They're trouble. So A class is holding up pretty well. B and C class are absolutely in trouble. Okay. On Wells Fargo, non-performing loans, that's a politically correct way of saying default. They don't like that because then that really scares you. You think of bankruptcy. So non-performing loans jumped 50% uh, since December, so the first quarter of this year, to $1.5 billion. Morgan Stanley, deteriorating economic outlook in the sector or the uh, four reason, uh, the, is the reason for the sharp rise in their provisions, their loan loss. Their contra account to offset the, the income. In other words, they're putting up their loss reserves. Bank of Ozarks in, in Arkansas um, increased their loan positions 10% in the first quarter. This, this, the chief investment officer of California Teachers Retirement System estimates office values are down 20%, and he's bracing for steep losses in the fund's $52 billion real estate portfolio. Bank of America, commercial real estate, most likely cause of systematic risk, i.e. contagion. In other words, the biggest black swan out there, they think, is uh, uh, systematic risk, is commercial real estate. And overseas, the IMF, commercial real estate, is a point of focus. Uh, and it's a toxic combo between falling property prices and tighter financial conditions, the higher rates, illiquid markets. Property management firm Brookfield has handed out, handed back the keys to buildings in Washington and two prime L.A. towers. Blackstone and PIMCO, the biggest, two biggest REITs in the world, have given up some office, inve in, investing in office commercial investments. 
instead of making continuing making bad bets. In other words, just losing money on them. They said, we're cutting our losses. We're not going to continue. Now, we actually have, I know somebody that works at D.R. Horton uh, up pretty high, and he does these, they do these commercial properties where they buy a huge tract of land. They put in 50 or 100 homes. They build them, and they start renting them out. And once they're almost fully rented, it's a turnkey deal. They sell the whole 100 uh, 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 houses as one big package to a Blackstone Reed or a Vanguard or a PIMCO, and they're looking for like a real estate income fund. Insurance companies and pension funds always buy these. He said credit deals are not getting done anymore. The rates are too high. He said they just, they're, they're stopped. The only deals that are getting done are cash deals, okay? Um, new office rentals have dropped to the lowest levels in more than a decade. Now, I'm not trying to be such a Debbie Downer. This article does point out that there are good areas, logistics, hotels, rental housing, and data centers, like for the big computing companies like the Amazons of the world. Um, uh, Blackstone's Jonathan Gray, he's their big real estate guy, said that real estate is broadly distributed among big banks, small banks, insurance companies, government agencies, securitizations, and REITs like himself. So I don't think it's as a systematic issue as people are saying. Folks, remember, he's got a, he's got a conflict of interest. He wants you buying his real estate. He, he's, he needs to sell it to you. He needs you to support his price. Anyway, the whole point is real estate, commercial real estate, and especially in some sectors, are in, are in trouble. And that's affecting the banking sector. Now, here's the question I have, because I've got a lot of clients and I've got friend, people that call and ask me, what do you think? I'm thinking about moving pretty soon. You think I ought to sell my house? And I'm thinking, you know, it, we're kind of in the later stage. I know that real estate's an inflation hedge. I get all that. But if you're planning on moving or doing something, I wouldn't try to, the odds of it being lower in a year or two are just as high, if not higher, in my opinion, than being higher. So it's a pretty good time to get out. I wouldn't be greedy. It is turning from a seller's market to a buyer's market very fast, even in the residential. Okay, I did a house a few years, a year ago, and we put in an, I mean, we'd look at a house we get they'd get five offers on the first day over the internet without an inspection they didn't care they'd fix the foundation or whatever they just wanted the house or someone else got it and there was a bidding war now you put a house on the market people want an inspection they come kick the tires the turnaround time from the time you put the house on sale to the time you sell has gotten longer okay not a may all i'm saying is real estate is weak and that's affecting the banks we've been saying that for at least a month the banks and the real estate sector look the weakest of all the sectors. And now we're, we're the fill, backfilling the facts. So in any event, it's, 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 it's important um, to understand that. Okay. And finally, 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 getting more toward the markets, is big tech enough? And what I mean by that is these last few days, it's really been the big bellwether tech titans that have actually held up the NASDAQ and helped the indices. John's going to talk about with the with Team Revere in a second, but just a couple days ago, the advanced decline line was terrible. The advancers, the decliners relative to the advancers were a lot higher. There were a lot more stocks going down than going up. In fact, that big day the NASDAQ had a couple days ago, all of the gains were entirely due to, was it Microsoft? What was it, Don? Was it Mike? What was the, was it Microsoft? Yeah, Microsoft. Two days ago, and um, yeah, it was Microsoft. It was, in fact, Microsoft was made a bigger contribution to the Nasdaq 100 than the entire index was up. So, right, uh, it was Microsoft up 120 basis points, and the rest of the index uh, down, dragged it down to a plus 70 basis point gain. Right. So, in plain English, that means without Microsoft and without Microsoft's big, big move, because it was a bigly it would have it the nasdaq would have been down so in any and that's why you you want to look at the internals and you want to see because two things will one of two things will have to happen the big three or four bellwether tech stocks cannot hold up the whole market so they will either roll over and and we go we may be headed for another leg down or if all of a sudden people start to feel more confident and things start to more uh, stocks start to 
firm up and do better and the advanced decline line, you could reignite a rally and you could go the other way. I don't know which way we're going. I know that the Fed and the is is still kind of talking hawkish and they want to keep trying to keep inflation tame. Yet the politicians are doing just the opposite and they want to speed up the economy because we got an election next year. So guess what? Congress, the Republicans in the House are trying to expand the fiduciary, I'm sorry, the accredited investor rule so that you don't have to have quite as much money to qualify as accredited investor. So you can do private placements and private equity, you know, different deals to help stimulate investment. That's one thing. The Biden administration, who sees it real estate, especially, remember I told you that a, B and C class space are in trouble, but A class space is not? Well, in the residential market, the higher end homes and people with better credit quality, it's still pretty strong and prices are holding up. Even in Dallas, if you look at the lower socioeconomic areas, those are softening or, or actually down while the higher end places in Dallas are holding the price, but it's taking long. They're not really appreciating more. They're just not going down yet, or they may not go down, but they're not going down. They, the turnaround time just hasn't picked up, okay? But people will get frustrated, and, they'll, and, and, and if real estate starts to roll over, it can affect people's psyche. It can affect the markets. But now with tech, is tech able to overcome and make the markets rally? So the markets actually, well, I'll let Don talk about the markets, but the economy is getting a little more negative, more talk about recession, whether it's a soft landing or not. Now, the market can rally with or without Main Street, and it will forecast in advance what Main Street is doing. Right now, you definitely have some, some, some issues out there, and there's definitely some sectors that you want to avoid like the plague. The risk is just way too high. Even if they go up, it's just way too much risk to be taking. I would be staying away, my personal opinion, I'd be staying away from the regional banks, and other sectors. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Don and Team Revere. And Don, you can kind of go over everything we talked about. Yeah, I want to show some charts that cement the weeds in those uh, sectors that you mentioned, Dan. This is a, um, this is a comparison chart, uh, a year-to-date comparison chart uh, of the S&P 500. We're going to start off there, show where we are. Uh, year to date. So there's the line for the S&P 500. Let's compare that to the regional banking uh, ETF. And you can see where we not only dropped off a cliff at the beginning of March where this crisis started, but we really haven't recovered. We've just been going sideways. Uh, there, the the blowups uh, are have been spoken about. A, a couple of them were bought. SIVB was shut down. Uh, the latest today is that FRC First Republic is going to be taken into receivership. That stock was down uh, 50% on Tuesday. They came out with earnings Monday night and really in a bad decision, management decided that they weren't going to provide guidance or take any questions. And that kind of set the market into <laughs> a bit of a panic. The stock was down 50% on Tuesday, another 30% on Wednesday, had a little bit of a bounce yesterday. It's down another 30% uh, today. I'll put up a chart of First Republic uh, just for comparison. Uh, yeah, it's down 96%. Well, yeah, because it's they're uh, basically the, going, from look, the if you're playing that year. stock, you're just playing right. the lottery. Right. So we have been in, in uh, the nightly videos and in the, uh, the weekend podcast, we've been talking about staying away from uh, real estate, particularly commercial real estate. Uh, and uh, regional banks, KRE. Now the real estate, XLRE, this is, there's 11 subsectors that make up the S&P 500. Real estate clearly underperforming, it's up less than 2% year to date, uh, but not hit as hard uh, as KRE. The, the issue here with uh, this XLRE is there's a lot of different uh, slices of real estate in there. The, this includes the cell phone towers that are uh, treated like REITs. They just collect, they own these little spots of land and just collect uh, a bunch of money from the cell phone companies that put towers on their land. Uh, there's also things like storages, 
there's also data centers. Those are holding up fine. It's the commercial real estate that you have to be concerned about, but maybe more than XLRE, the point that you made, you need to be concerned about those loans being on the bank, on the books of these KRE companies, these regional banks. Uh, San Francisco, I just read that a, a three, uh, $100 million office park is just is is up for sale from four years after it was built for $80 million, uh, a massive haircut. So it, it's critical to know what sectors are working and what sectors aren't working. Uh, I, I don't think that the fallout from this, these rising interest rates, which caused the liquidity crisis, that's one thing affecting the banks. The commercial real estate could be the other shoe uh, to drop. So something we're very uh, clearly uh, keeping an eye on, but we continue to say it in our videos, stay away from regional banks uh, and uh, commercial real estate. As far as the market overall, it's been a, a very strange uh, week for the market. That, uh, let's go to um, a 15 minute chart here. That uh, panic, that was uh, caused by uh, First Republic's CEO and their reaction. That trickled over to the market on Tuesday uh, and Wednesday. You can see we had a very strong downtrend day uh, on Tuesday. A little bit more choppy, but downtrending in the afternoon on Wednesday. We lightened up some positions on both of these days. Uh, then uh, Microsoft reported earnings. Uh, if you look at the NASDAQ 100 compared to this, you can see that it was up uh, on Wednesday versus the S&P 500 being down even stronger on Thursday after Meta reported their earnings. Uh, but if you look at a 60-minute chart here, we're near a top of a range. Uh, we own some individual positions that are in the NASDAQ 100, but this is a, a big resistance area, this 321.50 area on the NASDAQ 100. That's where we hit again today and are pulling back uh, intraday. Uh, you can see the strong reversal. So basically what happened with the market is uh, a, a nothing day on Monday, two harsh down days, Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, a recovery day uh, on Thursday and a big or a semi-recovery day, depending on what uh, uh, what index you're talking about. The NASDAQ 100 recovered on Wednesday. It was another down day for the broad market on Wednesday, but Thursday was the big recovery. How we close the week is going to be critical to the confidence going into uh, early next week. We also are, are very aware of seasonality. There's a, a, a well-known Wall Street quote, sell in May and go away. Uh, we've got the Fed meeting next Wednesday. There's an 85% chance that they're going to raise interest rates another 25 basis points, which is kind of astounding to me, considering all the indicators that are coming out showing that the economy is slowing. Uh, but, you know, that's just one thing to deal with. And then six of the big seven NASDAQ 100 stocks, which make up 51% uh, of the NASDAQ 100, have reported, but we've got Apple next week. Uh, locally, I've seen on TV, the Verizon stores are saying if you buy a, an iPhone, you get an iPad and an iWatch for free. <laughs> if they didn't have X-Story, why would they be giving those away for free? So that's a, a little bit concerning. But uh, Apple always seems to pull a rabbit out of a hat in earnings. Um, there have been some signs of a slowdown. A lot of it may have been priced in. But you really don't know until, one, the earnings reaction, and then, two, the guidance that they give. And then three, uh, what's their, their the, well, the prior quarter, the guidance, and then the reaction. Um, you just never know. And uh, we have been uh, keeping our, uh, as, as always, we keep our exposure in line with what the markets and the sectors are telling us, uh, avoiding the bad and trying to focus on the good. It's been a very choppy market. There haven't been, hasn't been a ton of progress uh, except for a handful of leading stocks. And if you're lucky enough to be in them, great. There's also been landmines. And if you're unfortunate enough to be in those, uh, like Mobileye yesterday, that was a leading stock down over 20% on earnings. Crocs was leading for a while. Uh, that was down 15% uh, on earnings. So uh, a lot of landmines in there. 
By the end of the week, we'll be 80% through earnings on the S&P 500. Uh, the reaction over the next couple of weeks, including the Fed next week, is going to be crucial to uh, the, the outlook for the market. As you know, we're entering into the normally seasonally weak period. However, the, the third year in the presidential cycle, like you said, Dan, uh, is, is typically leans bullish, but there's so many crosswinds going on uh, and we're, we try to navigate them every night in the videos that we do and, and in the podcasts and uh, in the changes we're making to the portfolios, but it's certainly not an easy environment uh, this year. All right. Hey, very quickly, Don, before we go to the guys, can I hit the mailbag? Please do. Okay. So, because this mailbag is pretty apropos, it actually ties in with what we're doing. And I'm sorry, I, I forgot we're such a professional uh, broadcast uh, <laughs> company. Hey, we got uh, it together. Uh, uh, well, that's why, hey, folks, we give you the raw data. All right. So, if you ever want to have a question or a topic or you want a stock you want talked on the air, just email us. You can just go to Revere Asset and up in the right, you can hit contact. There's a little contact. It'll email me directly and just send me your question. The subscribe button is right next door. That's if you just want to get this uh, podcast delivered directly to your inbox or if, and you want to get Don or our daily market insight videos every evening, the market is open. You can also go directly to YouTube and just subscribe uh, to Revere. Just look it for Revere Asset. And then subscribe. You'll actually get the show before the market close on Friday versus if you wait for our newsletter, it comes in Saturday morning. All right. Anyway. All right. Mailbag. Hi, Don, Dan and Mike. Michael, great video this week. And I missed I may have missed uh, any commentary on the TMF trade. I'm trying to understand reasons looking at it, looking at IBD. It has a 26 relative strength rating in industry IBD group of 99 and C plus accumulation distribution. It has a low dividend yield of 1.5. We can't bid for the dividend, can we? Realize it is highly leveraged. We were uh, down over 10%. Are you thinking the, the stabilization of interest rates, buying TMS, never second-guessing your trades, just trying to understand them for my own educational purposes? Thank you, CK. Hi, CK. TMF is a bond play. So the normal IBD stock metrics don't apply. It was purchased as a diversifier play on long-term TLT interest rates, the treasury bond, the interest rates on the long-term uh, treasury bond. It failed a breakout and we sold a third. The remaining third has, has found support and trading at the bottom of the range. Thanks for reeking it out, Don. Now, this was actually days ago. This was at the beginning of the week. I think Don can address that. I don't think we even have that position anymore at all. Um, next one. This, uh, good morning, Dan. Thank you for diving into details and answering my questions. Uh, that was on dividend stocks last week on the podcast. Amazing. I am sharing these with friends and family. Eventually, they will catch on to your invaluable service. A few takeaways from rest, yesterday's show. I am the perfect retail mindset. Many stocks on my watch list are, are news influenced, meaning he's seeing an article, popular favorites, or we use their product their products, uh, um, good and bad to this, but usually good, uh, usually a good inverse is I'm often wrong. I didn't quite understand that. I play with different stock valuations uh, from your six classes. I use a program called Stock Unlock. He's talking about our six classes on YouTube. Um, it was very easy uh, to see that many dividend stocks are overvalued and offer limited upside. Apple is a big no. Thank you. Now, now I see why your approach is, uh, is so unique and special. Uh, have a great weekend, T. Now, here's the good one. This is a, well, the other ones were good. I'm not saying they weren't. This is a little bit longer one. And this ties in with the real estate. Uh, one of our people sent us an article. The article is called, in less than a decade, you won't be able to afford a home in these cities. My question is, can you afford a home now in these cities with the real estate prices high and interest rates high? It's a tough thing. But anyway, it says a 300,000 home uh, worth 2.3 million to 2.3 million in 10 years based on a one-year 20% projection, meaning they're saying that real estate is going to go up 20% every year for the next 10 years. Total nonsense. A bank, but uh, so I said, but who is the author? A bank, it's bankrate.com. And their and their their advertisers 
are the loan originators, people trying to write loans for underwriting. So they're trying to get you off the couch and they're trying to buy you a home now. They're trying to scare you because they're saying it's going to be so damn expensive in 10 years. You better get in now. Okay? So it's basically saying Dallas is 308000 2023 projecting 2.3 million. Lakeland, Florida, 263K in 10 years, 2.57 million. Okay, so I said, my take on this article is projecting growth at 10 years is very difficult. And this assumes a consistent 20 year, 20% growth rate, which will never happen. In fact, the whole, they based the whole article on a one year growth rate, not even a 10 or 20 year average, uh, with go, uh, gobankingrates.com. Um, um, this is the same thing they said before 2008 when they were handing out mortgages with no money down because their models told them it real estate goes up, not 20, 8% every year in perpetuity or for the next five years. And then they said it was too hard to predict. That was enough to really, cause they would start handing out, uh, these mortgages for people that couldn't, couldn't pay them back. I said, my two older kids are saving for home ownership, but very concerned about the high amounts necessary for down payment. You are reaching pricing points that are becoming very prohibitive, in my opinion. Um, having a client who works for DR Horton, I talked about that early already, or the turnkey housing and developments like BackRock and pensions are, are just not getting done now. They're not doing them. They're doing them with cash, but not financing. Uh, while, is it, while it is an interesting article, I will be shocked if this actually turns out to be accurate. A similar inverse, a similar kind of inverse analogy would be like saying you will get the same stock market return over one year and we'll use 1999 because it was up 22 percent. In 1990, and we'll get we'll annualize a high double digit. Actually, it was 32 percent 99. High annualized double digit return over 20 years, and you can retire like at 50. Hell, you can retire at 35, 40 if you're making that kind of money. Um, um, this go banking rate also has advertisers or mortgage lenders trying to lend you money. Therefore, they want to create urgency and get you to borrow. Um, um, as I said, if this author's correct, we're in big trouble. Uh, cheers. And then he says, what if, so he answered back, what if I allocated funds to a REIT portfolio for income and as an inflation hedge, a REIT takes out, uh, a REIT takes, takes out new debt and generally pays it off over the last year. Or so those borrowing costs have risen dramatically. The result is the REITs take away your take home money from the newly placed investments will be less than its older investments. There needs to be a big enough spread between the interest rates on its new debt and the annual rates of return that make the renting of the properties uh, it buys with the debt. Um, so he was saying, is there a place for REITs in my portfolio? And I said, when they look at when they look at on the charts, we can own and have done so in the past. Currently, uh, commercial REITs are weak and their problems are rising. The home builders are still showing strength, but we may be in the late innings. With all of the headwinds and fundamentals, most REITs could struggle. But let me take a look and see if there's anything intriguing. I meant like, um, um, well, focus on assisted living REITs and home building REITs and shying away from commercial. Folks, I can't tell you how important that is. Now, well, let me finish this and then I'll talk about it. With T-bills yielding around four and a half to five, I would first get the large piece of my safe money in place there. And then we can start building out uh, around the core of T-bills. Uh, this is if he's talking about he's just wanting income. I do not consider REITs as safe money. And it is simply another form of equity along with its volatility, equity's volatility. But a small percentage, say 10% to 20% max, could be suitable along with some investment-grade corporate T-bills and brokerage CDs. The combination of REITs, investment-grade corporates, should not exceed 40%, and REITs themselves should not be over 20. Hopes this hopes, hope this clarifies the choices, but they are uber-safe, T-bills and CDs, and maybe just a few corporates, 20% max currently. This would be almost entirely income without any growth, meaning like real estate or equity. Expect, a pro expect approximately 45 to 5% currently, but will change with changing yields. Safe, not uber safe, but safe. CDs, some corporates and REITs, and a combination of those 
could be up to 40%. This is still fairly conservative with similar return, but potential for capital gains too. I would expect anywhere from 45 to maybe 6% currently. Now remember, it also could be lower than that 45 that you can get with T-bills if the REITs go down and you get capital losses. That's why the REITs are not, as, not a slam dunk like some of these articles are, are trying to tout it. Those are my thoughts. Let me know if you have any uh, other questions or would like to talk it through on a call. Folks, I'm, I was starting to talk about another thing. Remember I said Congress is trying to stimulate changing the rules for accredited investors and lowering it so more people can get into private placements. A lot of those private placements are real estate. All right. The Biden administration is actually float, trying to pass a bill because the lower Remember, I told you the lower socioeconomic and lower housing is slowing, stagnating, really. But the higher end are fine. He's trying to propose a bill where people that are taking out mortgages, if you've got a certain credit quality, if you're really good. Because you've done the right thing and you've got a high credit score, you get to pay an extra one and a half percent on your mortgage. So that people of lower credit quality or couldn't qualify because the rate's too high, it will lower their rate by one and a half percent. So they're trying to make everybody kind of more equalish rather than doing the underwriting based on your credit quality and what you've done in your own life. That's a bad idea. You're going to give when you try to do social engineering. God, I hope the Fed is listening. When you try to do social engineering, all you do is screw it up. You're inefficient and you're morons. Stop. Just stop. Let the market adjust and sell, uh, uh, reset. Anyway, that's my take. All I'm saying is you're hearing a lot of people coming out cheerleading for real estate and they're trying to get people off the fence and they're going to do more and more things as real estate slows to try to juice it up instead of letting it go through the cycle. And the problem is the cycle may be uglier than last time. Well, not 2008, but last time because they took rates so low and you got a bunch of people in a bunch of houses with really low rate or, or properties with really low rates. And now when they got to roll them over, they're going to hit a brick wall. So anyway, sorry, Don, I did not mean to bifurcate your stock market thing. I did, but I did want to go over the mailbag and I forgot to tie that in. Go ahead. Let's talk about, um, the question about the, the, the TMF uh, position that we have, which we do still have a third of the original buy. So this is uh, the, the, pri the price, not the yield, of uh, long-term treasury bonds. And we bought this, and it, it's TMF, but that's a derivative. We use it, uh, we make our decisions on the underlying, which is TLT on this case. So this line that I drew is the breakout on TLT, which caused us to get into TMF. It worked great for two days. Uh, on the third day, it broke down below that. And when it didn't above, we sold a partial of the position in there. You can see the comment that I said uh, is that it's showing um, support at the bottom of the range. The next line that I'm drawing is uh, this bottom of the range here, which has held. Uh, you can see it uh, bounced since then. Uh, is pulling back again and now gapped up today. So really it's range bound. We're holding it as long as it stays in this range, the remaining piece of it uh, that we have. And as I said, this was an effort to get into uh, the bond portion of the portfolio more on the long end. What we've been focused on and what we have 30% in right now is those short-term T-bills that are yielding between four and 5%, uh, either by buying T-bills directly by uh, buying a uh, short-term T-bill um, mutual fund or by SHV, which is an ETF uh, that, it's a, it's a very strange chart. It ticks up as you accumulate the dividends and then monthly it has a big drop while the dividend is paid out. So um, you gain, the thing I like about this is you can see the gains accumulating every day then the price is going to drop and then you're going to get the dividends within uh, two weeks. So those are the ways we're allocating the bond portion. But it's really not a loss at all. It's just the dividend, it's the cash is being paid out. Yeah, yeah. Right. You're just waiting for the dividend to hit your account. So that's my comment on that TMF um, okay. trade. So let's move on. We're uh, running out of time here, but quickly, uh, Connor, what do you have for us this week? <clears throat> yeah. So. This week, I just want, can you guys hear me? Oh, yeah. Perfect. 
So I wanted to talk about a certain industry group that's been acting well and two stocks from that industry group that have reported earnings this week. I think in this market to capture alpha, it's about finding the right names in the right sector, which is easier said than done. But, you know, when we're all looking at sectors every night, looking at the names in the sectors, it gives us a better chance to find these. So the first one is uh, Chipotle, I just wanted to bring up. Now I'm talking about the retail restaurant space. Um, Chipotle reported earnings this week and they broke out into new highs over that 2000 spot on, on nearly 500% above average volume. They beat on EPS and revenues, but the, uh, the earnings reaction is what's most noteworthy. And it, it uh, digested the move yesterday and now it's moving higher. Um, so that's a name from that space that's breaking out on a positive catalyst. Um, even, even before the catalyst, it, it was setting up really nicely, but like Don mentioned earlier, in this market, you just can't really hold a big position into earnings because there's landmines everywhere, Crocs, PI, that were former leaders. Um, the next one is uh, McDonald's. This is, this is another one in the retail restaurant industry group that's making new highs. This one on earnings, it, it gapped up initially to that 295 spot and then came back pretty aggressively as the market sold off. But it held that short-term AEMA and now it's moving higher. Um, so those are two names in this space. But um, so they, they had catalysts to propel them higher, but price action was giving a hint. But if you look at other names in this sector, if you want to pull up um, Starbucks on SBUX. This is another one that's acting really good the, in this sector. The chart looks great. Um, Wingstop, W-I-N-G is another one. And then just today, I believe MDLZ is another one in this space that reported earnings and it's gapping up as well. So I think the the key takeaway of this of this theme and stuff is that um, the best way in, in finding the alpha, I think, is to find these themes, these pockets of strength. And like this year, there's been there's been multiple. I mean, the big big Fang names have been a theme. Semiconductors have been a theme. So it's important to always uh, see what's going on and and try to find the strength where you can. So I thought I'd note those, and it'll be interesting to see if these can hold their their breakouts and that will be a good indication for um, market health. Thanks, Connor. You, you, uh, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a sector by sector um, situation and the consumer's still strong. A uh, lot of it's, it's consistent uh, when, when uh, infla inflation data and spending data comes in that uh, people are spending money on entertainment and services. Let's flip over to Mike. Mike, what do you have for us this week? All right. Um, so when I when I do my analysis, uh, one of one of the things that excites me most uh, when I when I'm able to identify this, and it's not often because uh, these opportunities don't don't come about all the time, but it's a um, it's really a, a supply demand imbalance, and um, like really one of the most powerful drivers of excess returns in 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 a particular sector, the market is a supply demand imbalance. And when supply is tight and demand is high with no substitutes, you've found yourself a, a very strong seller's market. And um, when I was looking at the home builders, I spoke about them six months ago on the podcast, um, I'm talking about them for a while. What, what really stood out to me, the, the, the most fundamental factor for that is that you've got a supply shortage in housing. So everything else that's going on when the market catches on to that i mean now they're they're the number one um industry group because people realize okay there, there's a supply shortage um so another one that i believe i've identified i've spoken about it before um that i'm really excited about is copper and um a coming copper shortage could derail the energy transition a report finds and there's many of these reports this is just one of them but um demand for copper is booming and supply can't keep up and um, that's going to be a big problem for net zero emissions targets. Um, copper is key for EVs, wind, and solar power, 
as well as the infrastructure that transports and stores renewable energy. Um, S&P Global's new report forecasts copper demand nearly doubling by 2035. And unless significant new supply becomes available, climate goals will be short-circuited or remain out of reach. There, there's just no substitute. And um, EVs, solar, and wind power, and batteries for energy storage all run on copper. An EV requires two and a half times as much copper as an internal combustion engine. And um, solar and offshore wind need two times and five times as much copper, respectively. Um, and the issue with copper is that it's not as simple as building new mines. It's not like oil where you can just pump more and, and solve the, the supply issue. Uh, a new copper mine takes 16 years on average to get off the ground, um, according to the IEA. And for the time being, increasing utilization at existing mines and ramping up recycling can fulfill some higher demand, but it's still not going to be enough. Um, and uh, basically, there, there's two scenarios that S&P Global, who, who did this report, is, um, is, is projecting. Um, the first is the Rocky Road scenario, in which production continues largely as is. Annual supply shortfall will reach almost 10 million metric tons by 2035. And then in the most optimistic, this is the best case scenario they see, um, mines increase utilization and ramp up recycling and the market will still be in a deficit for most of the 2030s. So what is the cure for this? The cure is higher prices. Um, it'll incentivize production and innovation, um, higher copper prices. And in the short run, the copper market historically, and, and we're seeing it now, is, is really affected by economic uncertainty and geopolitical instability. Um, but long-term, the supply-demand imbalance will be that primary factor. Um, if you pull up, uh, I don't, I don't know if we can find it on MarketSmith, but if anyone on their own time looks at a chart of copper prices, I mean, even with this this um, current drawdown, it's still in, in a massive uptrend, and um, and prices, I believe, are going way higher. Um, and then the way the way to play it, my favorite name in, in this space is um, is Freeport McMoran FCX, and um, I like them because they're a large scale, geographically diverse. Um, copper miner with headquarters in the US. Um, they operate three of the largest 10, of the 10 largest copper mine, um, copper producing mines in the world. And its key projects are located, um, one of them is in Indonesia. And the one in Indonesia, it's called Grasberg, has the single largest known gold reserves and the largest copper reserve in the world. Um, and it's one of the lowest uh, production cost mines as well. And um, basically, yeah, Freeport McMoran is the third biggest copper producer in the world, and um, and it, it just operates at a lower cash cost than most competitors. So um, wait for these to set up, um, and and yeah, I mean, I, the the next the next five years, I'm gonna keep pounding the table about copper. Um, it, it it's just it. There's no, there's no alternative. There's no substitute. And, and there, if you listen to um, the CEO of Freeport, Mac Moran, talk about the company, obviously CEOs are biased, but I mean, he, he lays it out pretty, um, pretty straight. And um, there's, there's a big problem and, and the market will catch on. So, um, yeah. Copper that, is, what all, I'm really is excited often referred, copper is often referred to as Dr. Copper for its supposed ability to forecast uh the economy what's your what's your thought on that i i agree with that um the only issue is that that in the past um because copper is used in in housing it's used in in um in, in industrial manufacturing and in, in everything um that shows that as soon as copper demand drops it means that there there's less manufacturing there's less building there's less construction but going forward now with this EV and renewable revolution, it's adding all this demand that didn't exist um, previously. So it'll um, it'll it'll diverge, I believe, from from this. Um, it's just even if the economy goes into a downturn, um, it, there there's still going to be excess demand for copper. So it's just yeah, additional demand now. So the ta the takeaway is we're always looking for the N in CanSlim, something new, and this is a completely new uh, avenue of demand for copper, the the EV revolution. 
All right. Uh, Dan, I think we're uh, done on the technical side. All right. I appreciate Take it. it yeah. Back and uh, wrap it up. No, I, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, this, so, you know, what Michael was talking about, you've got lithium, you've got copper, you've got certain metals that they need for this EV revolution. And the, 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 for the, for the legislation and the things that they passed and they're pushing, there is not enough metal, lithium especially, but cobalt and others, to actually meet even near the demand that they're forecasting. So the supply-demand balance is certainly there, and that's what he's talking about. Now, it doesn't mean they always move in tandem because sometimes investors will front-run a little bit, and you'll see these prices of, uh, whether it's lumber, copper, whatever, like when the inflation first started coming out, the commodities ran way up right at the very, very early beginnings of inflation. And then when inflation was peaking, they were actually selling off. So it's it, it, sometimes Wall Street and Main Street aren't perfectly timed together. But uh, Michael's right. That long-term fundamental trend is in place. But commodities can be volatile, so you still have to have rules. Folks, listen, if you like what, I heard, what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Just send them to revereasset.com. Up in the right-hand corner, there's a Contact Us button. You can send me an email directly on a topic you want to hear on the show, a stock you want discussed, or you just want a, free, a complimentary portfolio review. Next to that button, there's a Subscribe button. And this... this uh, radio podcast our email will go out on saturday morning and then every evening the market is open you'll get a short 10 minute market video talking about the indices short term long term mid term and then individual stocks and uh, sectors that we're tracking and things we're actually doing in the portfolio okay so you can email any of us at dan at revereasset.com don at revereasset.com michael connor or ted at revereasset.com and you can always call us old school at 855 real wealth folks have a safe and happy weekend and we'll talk to you next week on your money because it's not how much you make in the markets it's how much of that you can keep Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.